I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. It is episode 105 of We Are Going Up. David Cameron Walker's just had his burrito. Certainly have. Hello. Hello. I'm Mark Crossley. No. You just, every week you seem to start with about something I've eaten. <laughs> I know. It's I've also got... had a, a three jammy dodgers. You have actually. Mm. They're very nice though. So, nice, nice biscuits. <laughs> yes. Very much so. um, we're quite nice as well with my cup of tea. Anyway, um, no Carlo Jim this week, so it's just us two. Uh, but you were just telling me you had an absolute nightmare today playing football. Oh, we're halfway through the story. I said, save the gold for the intro. It was awful. Really bad. Um, so, playing five-a-side with work and lunchtime today. And right outside my work, there's a next to the five-a-side pitches that are opposite our work, there's also a school, a secondary school. Uh, and we're playing at lunchtime, so all the kids are on their lunch break. And I was playing right the way, this we- is going wearing already. my 2005-2006 uh, Watford home shirt. Vintage. And I think maybe one of them was a Watford fan or something amongst these bunch of about ten kids because they sort of picked up on the fact that I was wearing a Watford shirt. And started going, go on Watford, go on Watford, <laughs> yellow army, yellow army. And I was running around and it's kind of, you know when people are watching you, it sort of gives you a little Pressure's bit of adrenaline yeah. rush and you try and start to impress. Uh, and then unfortunately for me, a player who I was bitterly disappointed to have him do this to me, he, he nutmegged me, really good and proper, nutmegged oh, no. me, ran around the other side, right went, on, went on and scored and they all went, wow, Watford, <laughs> you got mugged, Watford, he's done you there. Oh, and everyone on the pitch was laughing. Oh, it was terrible. I thought that was going to be um, a Bradley Walsh moment in Mike Bassett where you had to go over to them and get the ball and they managed to dribble it around you or not make it away. But you, no, you got Awful. done. You got done. Right, um, on the show this week, in fact, well, before we get on with that, we should say quickly, audible.co.uk of course, slash yes. going up. This is the weekly bit of the show where we say it. If that isn't in your bookmarks across the top of your internet there or in your homepage, homepage, yeah, homepage. you're doing something wrong, let me just tell you. So audible.co.uk slash going up is where you need to go. And if you hear us bang on about this and you think every week, oh, what they're talking about get on with it no this is the week when you do this audible.co.uk slash going up you can pick from uh, one of thousands of audiobooks for free for a month and you, all you need to do is sign up if you've got an Amazon account it's really easy to do really simple doesn't have to be sport it can be music it can be politics it could be... one I've got oh go on I've not started listening to it yet but I got it the other day uh, Danny Baker's autobiography going to see in a sieve and I've heard it's very, very good. Okay, so well why get, not get that? Get Danny Baker's. Get on there. Audible.co.uk slash going up. We told you. Right, later in the show, we're going to be speaking to Bob Beach, uh, who is the chair of um, uh, Pompey SOS, or SOS Pompey, I should say, about the news that Guy Whittingham has lost his job as Portsmouth manager. It uh, broke yesterday, as you hear this, a couple of hours ago as we record. And uh, so we'll talk to Bob about that later. They lost to Scunthorpe at the weekend, four straight defeats in all competitions. Uh, but we are going to start, DC, with a very special anniversary. Um, on uh, Thursday last week, 
uh, the 21st of November, I believe. It uh, marked 35 years in the dugout for one of the legends of the Football League in terms of managers, Mr. Graham Turner. Ticked over 35 years as a manager. And what is even more astonishing is that he's only managed four clubs in that time. Aston Villa, Hereford, Wolves and Shrewsbury, where he started out as player manager back in 1978. And of course, he's there at the moment. They're 14th in League One after a 1-0 win against Notts County on Saturday. And one man who can hopefully steer us through the story of this incredible incredible uh, managerial career is Stuart Dunn who is the Shrewsbury Town commentator for BBC Radio Shropshire and also a freelance sports writer and broadcaster and we're pleased to say uh, that Stuart is on the line right now Stuart thank you very much for coming on the show uh, 35 years then still going strong Graham Turner and from what he's been saying recently he's not got any plans to stop anytime soon no he's still got that real zest for, for management Mark um, he lives um, an hour or so south of Shrewsbury so he's in his car nice and early most mornings to, to make the journey up to Shropshire and he's, he's still so enthusiastic about the job 35 years in the game umpteen professional matches he's presided over and uh, he, he is something of an iconic figure in these parts it's his second spell of course as, as Shrewsbury Town manager he's 66 years of age very much one of the respected elder statesman of football management and you can tell he, he commands that respect from the, the young Shrewsbury Town players he leads uh, each week at the Greenhouse Meadow and no he, he still really enjoys it and it wouldn't surprise me if he was still in charge for a good couple of years yet uh, and I've, I've been reading about Graham Turner and his, his career in football recently there's been a lot of features done on him on various various publications on the BBC recently obviously with his anniversary and it could have all been so so different. He was initially taken over. Uh, was it? He's thirty-one years old. Got six matches basically to prove himself as sort of caretaker player manager. Uh, that went really well for him, and then the rest is history. Yeah, it's incredible when you cast your mind back to late in 1978. Uh, Shrewsbury had a guy in charge called Richie Barker. He got the chance to go to Wolverhampton Wanderers, the big club down the road, only about 30 miles or so from Shrewsbury. He was then in the top flight as assistant manager, uh, and Richie Barker went out. And Graham Turner was upgraded to caretaker. It was his good fortune, though, at the time. The Shrewsbury were going well. They were top of the old third division, League One, as, as it is now. And what he did well is he just left things alone. He just left things ticking over. He had a, a, a little spell as caretaker, made a winning start at Peterborough. And then he always refers back to a home game, his second game in charge against Gillingham, when Shrewsbury were 1-0 down with time almost up and they managed to grab a, a late equaliser. He never really looked back from then on because what he did, he, he just left things alone. He, he identified there was no need to, to make things any different and, and Shrewsbury just went ticking along nicely. That season ended with them getting promoted as third division champions. They also reached the, the quarterfinals of the of the FA Cup for the first time in their history. So it was a, a dreamlike transition, if you like, from, from being a, a player to, to, to manager, and the rest really is history for him, because after that he established Shrewsbury Town as a well-run, albeit unfashionable, uh, club in the, the second division. They survived, actually, for, for ten long years, and he had an eye for a player. He went into the non-league game and signed people like Nigel Pearson from, from Hena Town, who went on to have such a, a fantastic career. He also signed Steve Grizovich from Liverpool Reserve. So he's always had an eye for, for talent. That does he, tell you how long he's been in the game. He signed <laughs> Steve Grizovich. It's incredible, isn't it? He signed Steve Grizovich in a swap deal with a guy called Bob Wardle back in the, the summer of, of 1982. And I think he, Graham Turner would go on record as saying perhaps it's one of the best pieces of business he, he's ever done. Perhaps not as good as the, the, the deal which took Steve Ball to Wolverhampton Wanderers from, from West Bromwich Albion a few years after that. But he really did make some astute captures for, for Shrewsbury Town, many of them from the non-league game. And, and that first spell at Shrewsbury Town was, was incredible because you've got to remember Shrewsbury Town were an unfashionable 
uh, club stuck in, in rural Shropshire who had never played higher than the third tier of English football before. But under Graham Turner, he got them into the into the old second division, and and, they, and it was a nightmare for the big clubs to to come to Gay Meadow, Shrewsbury's old ground. To the, the likes of West Ham and, and Newcastle and Chelsea would regularly come a cropper on the banks of the Seven. And, and under Graham Turner, his first spell as Shrewsbury Town manager, when he was making a, a, a real reputation as a manager to watch out for, Shrewsbury Town really did become a team to fear. So he um, he sort of stopped playing in, I think, 83. Uh, he left Shrewsbury in uh, 84 to go to uh, Aston Villa. Didn't quite go as well at Villa, though, did it? No, it didn't. He, he he has been on record this week of saying how disappointed he was, how it turned out at Aston Villa, because he took over what was an ageing team, really. It was a couple of years on from that wonderful title-winning team, the team that then went on and, and won the, the European Cup in, in 1982, beating Bayern Munich in the final. So it was a, a, a tricky time for him to go uh, to Villa Park. Before that, he had been... Uh, very close to getting the, the jobs at, at both Sheffield Wednesday and at Manchester City as well. Uh, at the time, Manchester City went for, for Billy McNeil instead. But then when the offer came from Aston Villa, it, it was a, an offer he couldn't refuse, really. He'd established Shrewsbury Town in the old second division. Villa were uh, a sleeping giant of the game, if you like, and he went there with real hope. And he, he looks back on his time, you know, at Aston Villa as uh, it, it, almost in frustration because he, he did sign some very good young English players, people like Paul Elliott and then Tony DiRigo, uh, Steve Hodge as well. A lot of those went on to play for, for England. So he, he, had a, he had a full season in charge, but within half a dozen games or so of the following season, he was out of the door when uh, Villa were beaten heavily. I think it was at Nottingham Forest by, by six goals to nil. Then he had this famous walk around the garden of the chairman, hmm. uh, Doug Ellis, when he was relieved of his duties. But he was quickly back in the game uh, three weeks later at Wolves, so he didn't have too long to, to, to wallow in any self-pity. And he was far more successful at Wolves than he was at Aston Villa. And he mentioned earlier that he brought Steve Ball to the club, something that I'm sure Wolves fans still very much love him for. And it went very well for him at Molyneux. Oh, it was incredible, wasn't it? He cast your mind back there. And Graham Turner himself would admit that perhaps he wasn't a popular choice to begin with because Wolves had Brian Little in charge and then Graham Turner came in. They they were in a real mess at the time. He goes on to say that they, 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 they were rats in the dressing room. <laughs> the, 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 the ground, the old Molyneux was in a, a real state of, of disrepair. And in his early weeks in charge of Molyneux, they actually had the, the, the embarrassment of losing to Chorley in the FA Cup, but out of somewhere, he just managed to, to manufacture a recovery. The signing of Steve Ball was pivotal. He also got Andy Thompson uh, from West Bromwich Albion Reserves at the same time, and he went on to play umpteen games for, for Wolves. He then went on and bought people like uh, Robbie Dennison, Andy Much came on board and formed that uh, feared partnership. And, 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 and under Graham Turner, Wolves enjoyed those uh, back-to-back uh, promotions from the fourth division to the second division. Never quite did it, though, did they, in terms of getting into the top division. He had uh, quite a few goes of getting them over the line. And despite all those goals that Steve Ball plundered, his best signing, the man he catapulted from Albion Reserves to, to England international status, it didn't quite happen for them in the end. And, and uh, Wolves and Graham Turner finally uh, parted company. But I, I know he still held in extremely high esteem uh, by Wolverhampton Wanderers. Shrewsbury played Wolves earlier this season in, in, in League One, a fixture that would have been unheard of two years ago when Wolves were in the Premier League and Shrewsbury were in League Two. And when Shrewsbury did play Wolves, it was one of these unique occasions <laughs> when all four sides of the stadium rose to salute him. He got a terrific ovation. Were they singing, um, there's only one Graham Turner, wasn't there? Apparently yeah, all there four was. sides yeah, of the ground. Was, was, yeah, exactly. And, and that meant a lot to him because it was the first time actually since he left Wolves well over 20 years ago that he actually came 
on, on collision course with Wolves. And I don't know whether you know, he was actually a, a Wolves supporter as a boy, despite uh, growing up on Ellesmere Port, just over the, the Mersey from Liverpool and Everton. He was actually a boyhood uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter. So to get the chance to manage uh, the club he always supported as a lad meant a, a, a great deal to him. And I know he's extremely proud of the fact that he's been bestowed Hall of Fame status uh, at Molyneux as well. And, and speak to just about any Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter, and I'm sure they will have nothing but good things to say about the part that, that Graham Turner played in reviving their fortunes. And of course, there there is another club uh, as well as Wolves and Shrewsbury where Graham Turner will be, uh, you know, held in very high regard. And that's uh, that's fifty three point six miles down the road, uh, down the A four nine to Hereford. Good knowledge. Yeah, we've got the AA planner yeah, out there. Google, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to take much longer as well. If any of you have driven the A forty nine before, it's an awful journey from from, from Hereford to Shrewsbury and, and vice versa. But no, we, it was incredible, wasn't it? Really, just how how Graham Turner became embedded in in life at Hereford United. It didn't start overly well in as much that they had the heartache of being relegated out of the Football League. Remember that dreadful day for, for Hereford against Brighton? Yeah, Winner takes 97. All. Yeah. yeah, or loser takes all, whichever way you want to look at it. And in the end, it was a 1-1 draw, wasn't it, at Edgar Street? And Hereford fell through, uh, through, through the relegation trapdoor into the conference. And then Graham Turner really did get... Really heavily into to Hereford, he was at, well. He was owner, wasn't he? And and um, really chairman, took on a, yeah. yeah, chairman. He took on a, a heck of a lot of responsibility at, at Hereford United. He finally got them back up into the into the football league, but it took quite a long time before they finally got back up by a, a promotion a playoff win over Halifax at Leicester City. Yeah, but so that was the, um, that was two thousand and six. So yeah, it took a took sort did. of the best part of nine years, really. It's incredible, really, isn't it, when you think of someone of Graham Turner's longevity and his track record, that he did spend nine, maybe, of his best years in non-league football. A guy who's been in charge of Wolves and, uh, and Aston Villa, managed at a, at a really good level, but he, he did spend a, a good chunk of his career in the non-league game, with, with no disrespect intended, of course, to, to, to all the clubs outside the Elite 92. But he kept plugging away, uh, and eventually he got them he got them back into into the football league, and I know he, that would have, that would have been a massive relief to him, having uh, had the heartache of what had happened uh, nine years earlier. And of course, I mean, he got Hereford up to, to League One eventually, and that is uh, you know an achievement that he went on to emulate in his second spell at Shrewsbury Town. They're currently in League One, so for him to take two clubs the size of Shrewsbury and Hereford up to the to the third tier of English football is really is some achievement. Yeah, very much so. I think it's five or six promotions he's had six, now, think, isn't yeah. it, uh, uh, Graham Turner? Um, yeah, Hereford were an unfashionable club and he invested heavily in the loan market uh, that season. People like Gary Hooper he signed on loan from, I think it was from Southend United Reserves and look at Hooper now. He, he went on to Celtic and he's now at Norwich City and has commanded big transfer fees. So again, the eye for talent that Graham Turner has always had and he did a really good job to get Hereford up. Uh, they did come straight back down. Uh, he then uh, handed over the, the reins at Edgar Street to John Truick, who's ironically now back working with him on his coaching staff at Shrewsbury Town. Uh, but eventually the call came to, to return home three summers ago, back to, to Shrewsbury Town. People wondered whether he should go back. The old adage, you should never go back in case you undo all the, the, the memories, the, the legacy which he provided in that uh, terrific first spell in charge between 1978 and 1984. But from, from the word go of his second spell, it just seemed the right fit. Graham Turner and Shrewsbury Town. By this stage, of course, the club had moved from homespun Gay Meadow a couple of miles across town to the 
the, the nine and a half thousand or so capacity all-seater uh, greenhouse meadow. The likes of Gary Peters and Paul Simpson had tried and not quite been able to, to get Shrewsbury Town over the, the finishing line from League Two. They'd had the heartache of a couple of playoff final defeats at Wembley against Bristol Rovers and Gillingham. And Graham Turner, when he took over, the, the summer he came in, Shrewsbury just had a season in which they, they trod water, really, in the Football League basement. And he came in, he, he made a lot of changes. He instantly brought in a, a much more easy-on-the-eye playing style. He made some very astute signings, people like Lionel Ainsworth and, and Mark Wright, two crowd-pleasing wingers, Matt Harold, a, a big centre-forward. And, and that team, almost in his first season in charge, w- were very close uh, to getting promoted. They actually came fourth that season and lost to Torquay in the playoffs. But they, they, they were unfortunate in as much as they had a game against Wickham, who eventually pipped them for the third promotion spot, in which Wickham had a goal. It was, yes. In which the ball was never over the line. I remember this. I remember this, yeah. goal from Gareth Ainsworth. Uh, it yeah. finished 1-1, and in the end, the, the two points of Shrewsbury lost that day, and the ball was never, never over the line. <laughs> it was a, a really poor bit of uh, refereeing from the officials that day. And those two points of Shrewsbury lost that day proved, proved crucial in the end because she would be missed out by automatic promotion by a single point to Wickham of all teams who went up automatically and she would be then had more playoff heartache Stuart has, oh. it, has he ever been under any real pressure at Shrewsbury from the fans because he's obviously a legend there I mean if Shrewsbury went on a really bad run this season for example would there be the usual pressure that will be put on a, any kind of normal manager or is he automatically protected by what he's done well, in these days of social media and message boards and Twitter and whatnot and Facebook, people are always going to have strong opinions, aren't they? You're never going to please everybody, despite what you've done in the game. And reputation alone uh, will, will, will never save you. Graham Turner knows that. He knows it's a result industry. He knows that better than anybody. But there is so much respect for him at Shrewsbury Town, certainly from the vast majority of supporters, especially those of us who can remember his first spell at Shrewsbury Town. Um, he's done so much for this club because in his first spell, he, he helped establish Shrewsbury Town in the second tier. And in his second spell, he's gone and achieved what so many had failed to do because for, for so many years, Shrewsbury were languishing in League Two. They even dropped into the conference for, uh, for one season and got straight back up, thankfully, in 2004. But Graham Turner, is, is, he deserves time, doesn't he? If, if they were to fall on, on hard times, I think the vast majority of supporters would give him time to, to turn things around. At the moment, as it happens, Shoes be doing all right. They're, they're 14th in the table. They had a good win over Notts County on Saturday. He's brought in lots of younger, exciting, talented players. He's got a bit of experience in there as well, the likes of Tamika Makanda-Weary, the captain uh, at the back. But he's, he's always keen to promote from within. And they've got some very exciting youngsters, people like Brian Woods and Tom Bradshaw and, and John Taylor, who's a, a tricky little winger who's been linked already with, with, with some bigger clubs higher up the footballing pyramid. So I'm sure that, that um, Graham Turner will have high hopes that he can establish Shrewsbury Town in League One. It's their second season up at this level. It was a little bit dicey at times in the first half of last season. They were struggling away from home, but in the second half of the season, they had some good away victories. And in the end, they finished well clear of relegation indeed it was their highest place in the football league standing for a good 15 or 16 years and this season it's steady progress once again and I'm sure that uh, all Salopians will be hoping that Graham Turner can maybe just maybe one day push Shrewsbury Town 
back into the championship. Who knows? You've got to have dreams. You've got to have ambitions. You are um, strange. We are struggling perhaps a little bit in front of goal this season. Seventeen goals in in mm. seven, seventeen games. The the top scorer is Tom Bradshaw, the young Welshman with with five goals. So is that an area that you think that Turner may look to dip into the low market? He's recently signed uh, Gozi Ugui from uh, from Reading, who was at mm. Yeovil last season, but I don't think it worked out for him very well there. Well, he's got nine loan players in already this season, and Graham Turner admits that's a few more loan signings than he would have liked. Um, like lots of lower league clubs, Shrewsbury Town are pretty reliant on the loan market to shore up the squad at times. And on Saturday, with Tom Bradshaw unable to play against North County, he was unwell. Graham Turner did go for two loan forwards up front. Gozi Yugu, who's extremely highly rated by Reading, he's yet to make the breakthrough for the Royals, but he's been knocking in the goals for their under-21 team, and Graham Turner has wanted him for quite a long time, so he's excited to have Gozi Yugu on board eventually. And alongside him on Saturday, he had a boy called Liam McAlinden, who's extremely highly rated by Wolverhampton Wanderers, where he's been on the fringe of things this season at Molyneux. He's played a couple of first-team matches, primarily off the bench, but McAlinden looks a real player. He's scored three goals already for Shrewsbury Town. He's a tricky player. He's a boy from the West Midlands from Cannock, but he's got... Uh, he can play for the Republic of Ireland at under-21 level, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time before he does that because he's a, a, a real talent. Adam Reach, he's got on loan as well from Middlesbrough, who played in the England England under-20 World Cup side uh, in the summer. He's been in and around the first team at Middlesbrough. He scored the winning goal uh, on Saturday. So again, Graham Turner calling on all his many contacts in the game and his eye for a player to bring in uh, exciting youngsters from higher up the footballing food chain, I'm sure he would ideally like to get a permanent centre-forward incapable of of scoring goals on a consistent basis because Shrewsbury perhaps haven't really had one of those since James Collins left uh, just after the promotion season. Collins is now playing for Hibernian in the Scottish Premier League. He moved on to Swindon and and Shrewsbury perhaps haven't had that uh, consistent firepower in the squad uh, since Collins moved on but uh, speak to any manager they're hard to find are they consistent goal scorers <laughs> they definitely are it's been an education thanks very much for coming on Stuart and uh, filling us uh, in on uh, Graham Turner's incredible career 35 years in football management and still going strong that was uh, Stuart Dunn Shrewsbury Town commentator for BBC Radio Shropshire and freelance sports writer and broadcaster next we're going to drop down to League 2 and find out more about a surprise managerial departure Well, I say slightly surprising for a club of Portsmouth size to be 18th in the bottom tier at this stage of the season is obviously not good enough. They've lost their last four games in all competitions and Guy Whittingham has lost his job as a result of it. So uh, on the line right now to uh, talk to us about the news, which is uh, just broken a couple of hours ago as we record, is Bob Beach, who is the chair of uh, SOS Pompey and along with several thousand others is a co-owner of Portsmouth Football Club, of course. Uh, Bob, thanks very much for coming on. Your immediate reaction to to uh, Guy Whittingham uh, being sacked as Portsmouth manager. What do you make of the decision? My immediate reaction is it's sad news, but inevitable news, to be perfectly honest. Guy is a Pompey legend, and in my eyes, and I hope everybody else's, he will remain so. Um, he, he was you know, a fantastic striker for us back in the day. But and, and I say this with a heavy heart, I don't think he made a good manager for us. Um, I was one of those who... Um, in the last week or so, has been saying, you know, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Bob, at the start of the season, you know, when we were doing our preview shows, 
Uh, Portsmouth were often cited as you know one of the favourites in terms of getting promotion from League Two. Many people expected them to bounce straight back with the stability that yourself and all the other people who you know taken charge of the club uh, last season have now brought to the club. Despite a lot of players coming in in the summer, there was expectation on Guy Whitting that he'd be obviously a lot closer to the top of the division. Is it that expectation that has finally you know uh, done for him really? No, I don't think it was. To be honest, I've got to be honest when. I, I listened to um, people saying about how Pompey were one of the hot favourites to, to walk this league. I was scratching my head because I couldn't see it. I couldn't see why we were favourites, other than the fact that you know we, we'd sold you know twelve thousand season tickets and and you know obviously we've got an average of about sixteen thousand home games a season. On the pitch, I, I just I just couldn't see it because we're a brand new side. We you know we, we're a side that under Part of the um, rules set down by the Football League, you know, from the CVA and come out of administration and all the rest of it, we aren't allowed to buy a single player. We can't buy it. So our team was made up of players that nobody else wanted, literally nobody else wanted. So it's a brand new team, and it's not the expectation. I'm a Pompey fan. I've been a Pompey fan um, for far too long, as you know, as I can remember. So I'm used to us being being beaten. You know, you know being beaten, you can. You can take. I think over the last few weeks, especially, it's been the manner of the defeat. We've been poor. We really have been poor. Um, we, we, you know, we leak goals. I mean, in the, in the local press over the last um, couple of days, you know, Guy Wilson was quoted as saying, you know, he didn't know, you know, what, what his best back four was. Now you could accept that, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, if it was August, but you know. Father Christmas is getting his sleigh ready. You, know, you, you should know what your back for is now, I would have thought. So, and it's all those sort of things. Is it not a bit harsh, though, considering uh, the situation he's come into? Is there no kind of extra leeway granted there, or is it just a case of, right, enough is enough, we need to change? We need to change. Um, it is harsh. And, and I, know, you know, I know personally the people that made this decision today, and I know that they will be dying inside tonight because they are all good people. And every single one of them um, only has Portsmouth Football Club at heart. So, from the outside, yes, it does look a harsh decision. It does look like you know we, we've um, jumped the gun, and you know it's you know typical football. But but it's not. Um, you know you have to remember you know, last season you know, when he had the job. You know, we we went on a sort of 22 games. You know, where we didn't win a single game. Fair point. I'd forgotten about so, that. <laughs> you, know, you, you have a look over the um, whole of his tenure from last season and this season. It doesn't make very pretty reading, to be perfectly honest with you. Again, I've, I've got to say, you know, nothing would have given us all greater pleasure than to see guys succeed because not only, obviously, would, would our club be, be doing well, it would be doing well under the leadership of one of our own. And, and Guy is one of our own and will remain one of our own. Um, he's obviously feeling bad tonight, um, but I hope, and really do hope, that at some point in the future, uh, a role within the club, if he wanted it, could be found for the So uh, academy manager Andy Orford uh, has been placed in, in caretaker charge. Given the amount of young players that are in the, uh, the Portsmouth first team, uh, it kind of makes sense, I suppose. And would you think he, has the, the op- he will have the opportunity, if he does well in the next few games, to maybe take the job full-time? I don't know. I, I don't know whether Andy will want the job full-time. Um, he, he was offered the job of assistant manager uh, under Guy, and he turned it down. Um, he's been doing 
fantastic stuff this season with the academy, and that they are doing really well. And that is a Pompey success story this season. So whether he wants to finish that particular job that he started, I don't know. You know, I've not spoken to Andy. Um, he, he's a, another uh, guy that runs here, you know, bleeds blue blood. Um, he's proper Pompey lad, as Andy Orford, and so he'll be given a fair crack. There, there are plenty of names being banded around in the message boards and on Twitter and what have you. You know, Mad Dog has, has, has already been mentioned. He seems to be favourite amongst a lot of uh, Pompey fans. Um, uh, now, Neil Warnock um, is somebody I, I would love to see take the job um, because I think he's the type of manager that we need who, who will go in. He won't take any nonsense from any player and, and we'll be able to, I think, get the best out of him. But it, it's, it's always that name game now, isn't it? What do you think should be the aim? for Portsmouth in the rest of this season? Is it just to survive or is it to get near the playoffs or, or what? From a um, purely a mercenary point of view, looking at season tickets out and that season and, and the rest of it, what I've been saying all season is I would love for Pompey to flirt with the playoffs you know, around March, April time and then just maybe fall away and um, finish in, in the top 10, which will then give us the opportunity to push on next season. Um, going up this season, for anybody really with you know, half a uh, footballing brain, it was never on the cards. I mean, the bookies made us favourite, like I said earlier. Could never understand that particular one. This season was all about staying alive. Um, we've done that. Um, the one, one thing that has angered me with you know, one or two fans over the last week or so is this um, tired mantra of, you know, we're lucky to have a club. We aren't lucky to have a club. We've got a club because a lot of people put their lives on hold for three years and made sure we've got a club. We, we now need to push on. You know, we can't be um, uh, the old woe is me. Oh, it's been so bad over the last few seasons. You know, we said we need to draw a line under that. We need to move forward. We need to move forward as a professional football club now because that's exactly what we are. We need to be um, looking up the table, not looking behind. At the moment, we're looking over our shoulders. A club like Portsmouth Football Club should not be thinking about conference football next season. That's absolutely unthinkable. So what are the, uh, what are the positives that have come uh, from uh, this season so far? I'm thinking in particular of uh, Jed Wallace. Who? No, never heard of him. Doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> there is no player called Jed Wallace. Honest guy. Um Yeah, Jed, Jed's been fantastic this season. He's been doing really, really well. Um, Sonny Bradley, been a lot of and people, myself included, is so far player of the season. He's he's been doing fantastically. So there are some positives. A, a major plus for us would be for um, Jed to still be with us on first of February. Whether he is, I don't know, because he is attracting a lot of interest. And rightly so, he's a cracking young player. I would love to see him finish his apprenticeship at some course of football club, you know, and really know the game before he undoubtedly moves on because he will move on and and that's the where we are as a football club. You know, when we bring players through like Jeb Wallace, we know that they're they're not gonna be with us, you know, for too much longer because money talks in, in football and it certainly does at Fratton Park. Bob, thanks very much for coming on. 
and speaking to us. Much appreciated. That is uh, Bob Beach, who is the uh, chair of SOS Pompey, and uh, along with thousands of others, as I said at the start, a co-owner of Portsmouth Football Club following that news about Guy Whittingham. Right now, it is time for the latest in our My Club series, celebrating 125 years of the Football League, uh, with uh, people talking about their club in 125 seconds. This is We Are Going Up, My Club in 125 Seconds. Hello, I'm John Mooney, and my club is Watford FC. So, John, can you remember your first ever game at Vicarage Road? Uh, August the 26th, uh, 1986, Watford 3, Oxford United 0, uh, goals by David Bardsley, John Barnes and Luther Sitt. What a start. What a start, indeed. Uh, so, you, you've watched uh, them from, from the glory days of that era right up to the present day. Who's been your favourite ever Watford player? Um, I, I think there's always that, that first player, John Barnes, who uh, got me really excited uh, when I was, uh, you know, first started getting into football and I think you can sort of knock him off that. You've obviously had some uh, some low moments supporting Watford, but you'll have had some highs as well. Uh, what's the one uh, sort of standout moment that you'll uh, you'll always think back to? Uh, it's, well, it's got to be the, the, the payoff uh, goal uh, tweeting scores against Leicester. There's no way. 99% of football fans will never get what I got on that day from going from the pit of uh, having something taken away from me to the absolute joy of it being given back to me and then some uh, within 30 seconds. So, oh. yeah, can't believe that moment. That remind me, I wasn't there. You weren't because um, you hung over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, what about your, uh, your, your most lowest, most depressing moment as a Watford fan? Um, it was Luton Town away. I was a junior horn. It was the only uh, Watford fans there because so Luton didn't allow away fans. Uh, in 1988, I think it was, uh, and we were 2-1 down at half-time. And in fact, I don't think Luton even scored the goals. I think there were two own goals. Um, but we were the only ones in the end singing. And a couple of quick-fire ones to end. Your favourite Watford goal and your favourite Watford manager? Uh, favourite Watford manager, I'm going to go with Sean Dyche. Uh, favourite Watford goal has to be, again, another goal for a moment from last season, um, the multiple uh, pass between pretty much every single player on the pitch uh, against Huddersfield, which uh, ended with uh, Christian Botocchio uh, scoring it. Just a beautifully passed Barcelona slash Brazil slash Watford. Uh, <laughs> My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. So we'll have another one of those on the show next week. And uh, DC, before we... Uh, kick off our weekend review it's uh, the latest in our series of tweets from Paul Glover the Charlton fan who we asked oh, to get back in touch with us last week uh, hello I believe the Valley has it so basically just to recap you asked you asked the question why is the Valley called the Valley yes um, and he says I believe the Valley has its name due to its Valley likeness I'm going to inquire for you and report back and he does in August 1919 a five year lease for the land was signed it was a derelict sand and chalk pit an army of volunteers dug the pitch into shape there were no stands uh, so uh, the soil was used to build banks around the pitch and therefore it looked like a valley. Oh, there we go. There you go. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, pa- uh, thank you to Paul for that. You can uh, tweet us. I've got like another a- one for him. Oh, God. Oh, God no. OK. Why are, the, uh, why are Charlton called the Addicts? What, what, is, what does that mean? I've okay. always wondered. That's the next in the series, Paul. You know what to do. At Waggy Podcast is how you can get in touch. While you're doing that, let's kick off our uh, review of the, uh, the week's uh, action across the Football League. We'll start in the Championship. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, should we start with, uh, with uh, Manuel Munia? 
and making that howler for Watford yeah. uh, seeing as though you are here Bolton by the way have completely turned around their poor form yeah, uh, Jermaine yeah. Beckford um, was uh, on the spot to pounce and uh, Almuni got hauled off at half time and apparently he was ill well yeah you say in inverted commas mm. and I did the inverted commas thing everyone that's what you can you can only lead you know sort of read into the situation if he was ill fair enough maybe that contributed to his error but it didn't look great being hauled off at half time after making that mistake maybe you know uh, and I, I don't mind Almunia. He, he's made two mistakes now in the last two home games, but actually during his time with us, he's, he's been very good for us. Uh, he was excellent in that player final last year, if, if you if you remember. Stopped it from being a, a lot lot worse defeat than it was. Um, Jonathan Bond comes into the team now, who made his debut for the England under-21s last week. Um, <laughs> well, so what a game to get, 9-0. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's good timing for Bond. Maybe he can... He played a bit last season when Almunia was injured. Maybe he can... Uh, have an opportunity to make the number one spot his own now. It's just not going well for us. We had a lot of injuries going into this game. We came back from the international break with more injuries than we went into it with. So uh, very disappointing. Mm. We signed Fitz Hall on a one-month deal. We've got a young lad from from Arsenal, Hector Bellerin, I think, uh, from Arsenal. Uh, so we're patched up at the moment. We didn't have anything up top really on, on Saturday, and you know, it's just an, another disappointing result. We do need to pick up some form, but thankfully for us we've got Yeovil at home next so if we can't beat them then we really are in trouble uh, Burnley 1-0 draw at Forest at the weekend look quite uh, lucky in a way to get a point from that game but it uh, shows how far they've come that they're disappointed not to win there uh, Leicester in second now did you hear Mick McCarthy's quote about David Nugent after uh, Nugent scored twice Ipswich are 1-0 up Nugent scored twice to give Leicester a 2-1 win he's got 13 goals in 12 games against Ipswich he scored in 7 games at Portland Road and when Mick was told about this afterwards he says I'm effing delighted for him after a long pause <laughs> Let's hope they, hope they get promoted so we can off out of my sight. That'd be great. That is a good player. He's a top-class striker in this league. So I brought it back at the end there. Uh, but the new share, bang on target. And also in the championship, Charlie Austin. What a goal that was for QPR. Fantastic strike. And do you know what? It really uh, made me smile, actually, when he scored that because I was having a conversation with uh, uh, the Moose of oh, yeah. Sport fame the other day. Everyone's uh, favourite if you've listened to this show for a couple of years. Oh God, yeah. The uh, uh, what's, What would you say? Probably not the most uh, praise we've had for an interview or no, a guest. No, uh, you know, a man with questionable opinions at the best of times. <laughs> uh, and he was slagging off Charlie Austin the other day saying he was rubbish and that most of his goals had come from the penalty spot and he was no good. Well, there you go. Proves it once and for all. Uh, what else? Uh, Brighton quietly going about their business. Three straight wins now. They won 1-0 at Wigan at the weekend. Um, and also Steve McLaren at Derby going really well. Another victory for them on the road. 1-0 at Bournemouth. Um, do you think uh, either of those two sides could get anywhere near uh, the promotion spots? Of course. I mean, they're already near the promotion spots, aren't they? But of course, I'm sure you mean at the end of the season. But Derby and Brighton. I mean, the thing is about the promotion. I was looking at the championship table earlier on and you know, Burnley, Leicester, QPR are the three teams that are there out there in front. There's seven points between uh, QPR and Blackpool in third and fourth. So let's assume that, you know, them three managed to hold together their form and they'll be fighting for the automatic. It could change, obviously, but, you know, they're going strong at the moment. Then the, the, the three remaining playoff spots, I think, is going to be very interesting indeed because, you know, it's changing hands at a quite a rapid rate already. Leeds are now in there after a victory at the weekend. Uh, Derby have made a real surge since Stephen McCarran came in Brighton have been going well Watford were right up there but now we've fallen back but still we're only three points off so we still like to think that we could get into the playoff spot certainly you know Wigan are there as well four, four games in 12 days they've got at the moment got, they've got a game in hand as well though. so if they win that they'll be 
seventh, no, they'll be eighth on, on goal difference. So I, I think certainly do think Derby and Brighton can be there at the end of the season. I think it's going to be very interesting. I mean, as ever, the, the playoff race. Ridiculous refereeing decision of the weekend has to be in that game at Ewood Park between Blackburn and Reading. Goalless, uh, but Chris Gunter uh, cuts in from the right into the uh, into the Blackburn penalty area. Across comes Grant Hanley, out of control, sliding tackle, scythes him down. Booked for diving simulation. What was that all about? Ridiculous decision from the referee. Uh, I don't know how you could do anything. If you haven't else seen it, we posted it on Twitter. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous. It is clear as day that he takes him down. The, the uh, Reading player gets to the ball first. And he takes him out good and proper. Right, how about this for a start? I've got a stat for you. Let me find it first, though. So, uh, Sheffield Wednesday lost a 2-1 at home to Huddersfield on Saturday. Do you know that uh, Gary Megson, who, of course, was a Wednesday boss before Dave Jones... Now favourite to be manager of Scunthorpe. In his last 20 games, his uh, win ratio was 48% before he's lost his job. The win ratio in Dave Jones' last 20 games is 10%. Jesus. And he's still there. Yeah, that's no good, is it? Oh, I suppose we did that when we spoke about Wednesday early on in the season. We kind of, I certainly did, and said to the, Carl Maluli. Yeah, so did Carl. Um, say that we should perhaps give Dave Jones a benefit of the doubt and give him more time. But when you throw a stat like that out there, it, it doesn't doesn't make for good reading at all, does it? And you know they well, he made are four changes on Saturday to try and make it work, but they um, are bang in trouble. Uh, Huddersfield made six, and it did work for them. Uh, okay, uh, elsewhere in uh, well, should we go, drop down to uh, League One? Uh, the standout result of the weekend uh, being that uh, scoreline at six fields, uh, which was Coventry 1, Tranmere 5. Where on earth that came from? I have no idea. Uh, Ryan Lowe with an incredible hat-trick, especially the last goal, although you've got to say some of Coventry's defending. I mean, we've talked about them going forward this season, but they have been letting in a lot of goals. Yeah. And uh, some of that defending was absolutely abysmal. Second goal in particular. A terrible, terrible try- attempt at a first touch from the Coventry defender, which ended up being a pass straight to the Tranmere player. Uh, and the, the third goal there, Ryan Lowe's the most remarkable thing about it is perhaps the complete and utter inability of the cameraman <laughs> to keep anywhere near the flight of the ball. Exactly. If you've been watching the cricket, um, although if you have, you probably wish you haven't. There was something similar on the first day. The cameraman just could not keep up with the ball. Um, right elsewhere in uh, League One, Peterborough DC in a bit of a pickle. Four straight defeats, lost one 0 home to Stevenage. For a team that was uh, banging in the goals, only two in their last six games, and they're away at Brentford on Tuesday night this week. Yeah, and you wouldn't fancy them at all at this rate. Uh, two awful performances in their last two games, uh, and they have slipped right back eight points behind Wolves now. What's happened to Britt? What's happened to Britt? He's gone for a real rough patch, yeah. I mean, which is interesting because you you still have the old Watford fan coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, why do we get rid of Britt or Sombolonga? We're struggling to score goals and stuff. But I think that just, you know, that just shows that he's a very exciting player with a lot of potential. But at that age, you are going to go through patches of games where you don't score many goals, I think. And he's, he's struggling at the moment. Now, obviously, the uh, the big story in League One, uh, well, it was on the pitch, but kind of uh, not really related to football, was the incident at Swindon. They lost 3-1 to Leighton Orient, who've gone... Uh, top again, overtaking Wolves with that 3-1 win. Wonderful goal by David Mooney, the chip yes. in that game. Beautiful. But yeah, the incident where this idiot comes on the pitch and tries to punch the goalkeeper, Jamie Jones. And obviously you would have to say, you know, what if he had a knife, that kind of thing. Yeah. Not good from the stewards on that side of the ground, but thankfully he has been banned. But you know what? Of course he should be banned. I mean, he should be... Russell Slade know, was be not up, happy. He should be up on assault charges, shouldn't he? He punched the guy three times. But... Um, one of these days, there there will be someone that has a knife or has something, you know, some sort of weapon, or, or maybe not, even, you know, just just does genuinely assault a player and, and causes someone serious injury. I mean, and it's a very difficult job that stewards have. Don't get me wrong; I, I don't envy their position whatsoever. But it does happen on a reasonably regular basis. You see the odd person get onto the pitch, and and it is worrying. And the worst thing about stewards is that 
they're not even watching the game, they're watching the crowd. That's their job. It should be, yeah, certainly. I know, and it, it obviously didn't make a difference. Uh, Crew are in a real bit of trouble. Their goal difference is appalling. I think it's like minus 25. They lost yeah. uh, the big derby game at home to Port Vale. They've won five so games the, in six. The big, the big derby Well, game. I suppose it's the big derby for <laughs> is Crew. It the, the big derby? It's not the big derby for Port Vale. That's the Stoke game, isn't it? In fact, maybe the Stoke game's the derby for Crew. I don't know. Crew fans, let us know. At Waggy Podcast on Twitter. Oldham, though, picking up some uh, wins down there. They won 1-0 at Gillingham. We've got knocked out the FA Cup by Brackley Town this yeah, week, which is terrible. a shocker. Um, but um, uh, Oldham went and won at Wolves in the FA Cup. So good, good little run for Lee Johnson. Yeah, I think there's only two defeats in 11 in all competitions now for Oldham. So after a slight, poor slightly, start. Yeah, slightly average start, to say the least, they, they're picking up now uh, 18 points. Perhaps you know, they've got a game in hand, though, as well, I suppose. But perhaps you know, the playoffs will be too far for them this season. I don't really know what the ambition is at Oldham. Uh, with, with Lee Johnson being such a young and inexperienced manager, I think perhaps it may be a season of, of learning for him, really, before he can really push on. But it's certainly going quite well right at the moment. Uh, Sheffield United and Bristol City still in the relegation zone. United won 1-0. Uh, Ashton Gate, Notts County, another defeat uh, for Sean Derry. So uh, at Shrewsbury, as we were talking about earlier, so obviously not going well. Down into League no. 2, talking about managers. Uh, obviously, we uh, mentioned the change of manager at Portsmouth. There's also been a change of manager at Scunthorpe United at Glanford Park after a 2-1 defeat to Grimsby in the FA Cup in that big derby uh, replay. <laughs> another time I've said the big derby. Uh, Brian Laws has gone a year after he came back and he's not happy about it at all. He certainly isn't. Uh, let me just read you of some of the statement that he put out through the uh, the League Managers Association last week. So Law said, to be relieved of my duties after only 16 league games when I was meeting my targets is, in my opinion, unwarranted. I'm exceptionally disappointed. Uh, the club is only two points of a playoff place and have lost only four league matches this season in what is a really competitive league. I don't think he said that bit. League. Or did he? He certainly I, I did. I thought yeah. it was like the BBC Sport no, blurb. No, this is this is the words of Brian Laws okay. through the LMA. Uh, we have not suffered any back-to-back league defeats, and four of the clubs relegated uh, of the four clubs relegated last season, Scunthorpe are currently the highest placed in League Two. And I suppose when you look at it like that, it's it's hard to argue, isn't it? He, you know, very harsh uh, treatment from Scunthorpe towards Brian Laws. So uh, I don't know if we know who's going to be the new boss there. Well, Gary Megson oh, is, Megson, you said, is yes, currently the, the bookies' favourite. Uh, David O'Leary um, has been mentioned um, quite a lot. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I think he, he was the favourite until until today when Megson's come in. Uh, other people like Steve Cotchorn and Martin Allen, who we talked about with Portsmouth, I think he, he'll get linked to any job in League Two pretty <laughs> much. Um, so we'll, we, shall, we shall see. David O'Leary really would be a surprise choice, though. He's been out, I think, in the Middle East. <laughs> For quite some time since he since he you know, last left the game, uh, since his time at Aston Villa, and he's been doing punditry and stuff for TV over in over in the Middle East, I think. So to come back and manage Scunthorpe in League Two would be a, a, an extreme change of lifestyle for David O'Leary. <laughs> Speaking of um, managers, then we uh, we sort of mentioned a few weeks ago James Beattie was having such a real hard time at Accrington. They extended well, their he's un- doing something right now. Unbeaten run to seven games, a two-one win against Torquay. Jim Proudfoot mentioned it to us last week that it was a big game for Torquay. They were one 0 up thanks. To Paul McCallum, but Cal Naismith with two goals, and uh, yeah, Alan Nil slips further towards the brink, you would think. And the game of the weekend in the Football League: Fleetwood five, Mansfield four. The tone set by some absolutely shocking Mansfield defending Alice Spurs at Manchester City in the first twenty seconds, and uh, yeah, just crazy. So a goal every ten minutes from then till the end of the game, including the ninety-seventh minute penalty to win it. But they're uh, they're fourth now, aren't they? Thirty-one yeah, points very because the, there. the top three won Oxford, Chesterfield, and Rochdale all winning again at the weekend very very tight at the top of League 2 that's pretty much a lot I think uh, for this week um, however DC I think before we go we should say 
if you haven't voted for the Football Supporters Federation Awards, then you might want to do so right now. Um, maybe not if you've not enjoyed the show, but if you have enjoyed it, why don't you go to fsf.org.uk slash awards if you've been spreading the word this week. Have I been spreading yeah. the word this week? Um, yeah, I have actually. I was in Nottingham at the weekend talking to uh, a bunch of students mm. uh, who do university uh, do university radio in, in Nottingham. Imagine uh, doing university radio in Nottingham. Eh? Yeah, indeed, yeah. Who <laughs> do, do a thing like that. Uh, and uh, I was talking to them, sort of trying to teach them what little I do know about radio. Uh, and I was doing like a sort of talk to several of them and I all told them to put it up on the big screen at the end of the thing. To to vote. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> right, so uh, go there if you haven't voted already, fsf.org.uk slash awards. Uh, loads of football going on this week, uh, midweek and uh, next weekend. So, uh, we'll be back next week uh, the website if you want to have a read of some of the uh, the blogs that are on there we are going up.co.uk always worth having a peruse through there the SoundCloud page is soundcloud.com slash wagyu podcast and uh, yeah the uh, Twitter is at wagyu podcast that's pretty much your lot uh, we'll speak to you in seven days time this is the we are going up podcast we've got the football league covered <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.